and welcome to the Authentic Connection podcast by Honeypot. My name is Laura and I'll be your host. Each week, a special guest and I will dive deep into authentic connection, unraveling what this means for us and how to find it with ourselves, each other and the environment. These raw conversations are packed with knowledge, wisdom and inspiration relatable for all human beings journeying through life. The universe has brought you to this podcast for a reason. Let's jump in and journey together. Welcome back to episode four of the Authentic Connection podcast by Honeypot. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's conversation is with Luke Taylor. Luke is a biohacker and the founder and CEO of Tailored Health and Performance, which is a business he created off the back of his own health journey. Luke established the tailored model to help others uncover underlying health issues and optimize human performance. I've known Luke for quite a while now and whenever we get together I always come away with some really interesting new insights and knowledge as Luke is an avid researcher of all the most up-to-date research. He also likes to geek out on the latest health technology so if you want to know what the aura ring is like then hit him up. In today's conversation, we talk about overcoming injuries um, and how Luke's interest in rehabilitation started with his own diagnosis of a flexibility disorder, Ehlers-Danlos. We talk in depth about the strategies that Luke used relatively recently for a severe concussion. And even if you don't have concussion, these strategies are really useful because they're the exactly the same things if you want to keep your brain in the best health it can be for a long, healthy life to prevent things like Alzheimer's, from fasting to magnesium to high-dose fish oils. Um, we also touch on some of the barriers that are in people's own way when it comes to behavior change and self-worth. So this is a conversation full of useful nuggets nuggets of information but without further ado I will stop rambling now here is my conversation with Luke Taylor of Tailored Health and Performance. Thanks for joining me uh, today Luke it is awesome to have you here and thanks for your time. Yeah we've known each other for a wee while so I do know a little bit about what you've been up to and things but what I'd love to hear a bit more about is maybe some of the pivotal moments that um, got to you to this point in your life where you've got your own health and performance business. Um, what are those? What are those things that have forced some evolution and forced you in the direction that you've ended up coming in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess we're a makeup of our own, own kind of uh, crises, I guess. So mine kind of started for me when I was four years old. I was diagnosed with flexibility disorder, known as Elos Danos. Mm. Obviously, that was quite impactful. Um, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that's a flexibility disorder. So pretty much just means I'm predisposed to injury. Um, so I'm extremely injury prone because I'm ligamentously mobile, which doesn't mean I can like touch my toes. It doesn't mean I'm flexible um, because my muscle bellies are, as a result, extremely tight. To compensate. Yeah, exactly. For me, um, being extremely injury prone, I thought it was a great idea to get into rugby. Hindsight, not the best idea because... Uh, Rugby is probably one of the worst things you could do for an injury-prone person. So um, rugby was my life from about, I suppose, four, because that's when I was diagnosed, to about uh, 21. 
and I played to quite a high level as well uh, because I just absolutely loved it. I lived and breathed rugby. It was everything. Um, but obviously, a series of injuries. So I was in and out of physios and specialist offices. And I kind of grew a bit of a niche for um, a, bit of, a bit of a passion, I guess, for rehab in particular and was seeing myself as eventually going to becoming a physio uh, because I saw so many of them so often. Uh, and I thought it was quite cool what they were doing. Mm. And then, yeah, through my journeys, I kind of really decided I wanted to kind of study sports science. And as I was studying sports science, I was kind of my final year of rugby. And that's when I had um, probably the worst season of, of injuries. I did sprained both ankles so many times. I created bone spurs. I did overuse knee injuries. Well, my left SIJ, which is lower back, I did separated both shoulders multiple times, dislocated elbow, and broke both wrists. And it was just one season, so. Mm, my God. And I played 80 minutes every game because I was the captain and that's what I was told to do and to push through it and she'll be right. Um, Toughen up. Yeah, exactly. And then at the end of that season, I was extremely broken and beaten up. And um, I guess it, it, it kind of forced me to think beyond the physical component because um, I got told by all the specialists um, after that season, I'll never be able to run again. And that was not an answer for me. Mm-hmm. It led me to diving into the research because at this point I was studying that sports science and I identified that I had a number of underlying issues um, and that what led me to identify that I had a lot of chronic inflammation and the only issues I managed to identify were mold toxicity, um, poor gut health and adrenal issues. Mm. So as I kind of dived into that and kind of around my I identified more than just the physical component, but actually looked at the uh, the body as a holistic um, component, I guess, and then started really, at this point in time, I was also a personal trainer, um, but I started to wrap these things into my business as well. And then fast forward to today, I kind of created what's called the tailored model, and that's all derived around my journey. And with the tailored model, we've now focused on four key pillars, which is mindset, lifestyle, nutrition, and movement. Amazing. That's that's a kind of a, a, a short synopsis of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've dealt with a lot of injury, and I know you had a particularly bad one last year. I'm interested to hear whether last year's injury had a bigger impact because of kind of how far you'd gone, or has last year's injury changed your perception or the way you perceive things in any way? So... Pretty much, I suppose to give a bit of a background, this also led me into, as I went to prove the tailored model, I decided to drop rugby and move into Ironman. So Ironman is kind of how I decided to prove the model. I was like, I could go and do a marathon after being told I'd never be able to run again. That, that's pretty awesome. But I was like, for me, I really like a big challenge, so I selected Ironman uh, because to me there's nothing bigger. You know, a 4K swim followed by a 180K bike followed by a marathon. Um, I was like, if I can do that, I think that really proves to everyone that I have rehabbed myself. I got myself back to a, a healthy point. Um, so I've been there, done that now, um, which was awesome. I was supposed to be a one and done kind of deal, but I kind of got hooked on it, hooked on the whole triathlon game. And I've since started the, the goal of trying to qualify for every world champs in every single distance. So I've done sprint distance. I've done standard distance. Um, and the Injury you're talking about occurred when I was going for my half Ironman World uh, Championship qualification, and then the couple of months after that, I was supposed to be going for the full Ironman, uh, the Kona qualification. Mm. Um, so 
yeah, I kind of have the pursuit of really bettering myself inside triathlon and really proving that model and taking the not just the health but the performance end of it. Mm. And yeah, in the pursuit for that, I guess uh, I, I had quite a, a significant injury. So I was coming around a bend about 75 k's into the bike, and then we two speed bumps. Um, and I was coming in, according to my computer, I think it was 45 k's now. Uh, and then finally hopped the first uh, speed bump. And then on the second speed bump, apparently my wheel was off center. I don't remember any of this, but apparently flying over my handlebars, uh, head first into the curb. And yeah, I don't remember the next 20 minutes that I was at the crash site. Um, mm. Again, according to my computer, I was at the crash site for 20 minutes. I mm. know that. So, so naturally, um, not knowing what I was doing um, and my competitive nature as well, I jumped back on my bike and finished the race. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> so obviously, severe concussion. And by the end of the race, uh, it's also in 38 degrees as well. So it was extremely hot. Um, so half marathon and that temperature not really being there. So I didn't really come to until I was back on, like, coming into the run. Um, so I don't remember the last 15 Ks of the bike, which is quite scary because multiple times I went over 60 Ks. Um, and, yeah, I managed to bike that in, not remembering anything of it. And I think that's the bit that scares me the most because if I came off, I wouldn't be here today. I'm lucky to be here the head injury I did have but mm. yeah so I guess that was the starting point of the journey because um, I thought a concussion you know I, I ended up stumbling across the line finishing the race um, losing all kind of control um, thing and that's kind of where the recovery really started and it's been so much slower and longer than I ever would have imagined I still I still had my goal of you know getting to that race to qualify for Kona in a couple of months time which was a full Ironman um, in Malaysia mm. Yeah, that just wasn't going to happen, uh, as I learned, as I had to keep canceling race after race after race. And I was still canceling races right up until we went into COVID. So, oh my God. Seven months, seven, eight months down the lines, profound impact on my life. So, pretty much was unable to work when I got home. I had to stay in uh, Indonesia because the race was in Indonesia. I had to stay in Indonesia for an extra week or so. Couldn't fly. Um, and then, yeah, I've kind of been on the journey of learning about the brain a bit more. It's like I've always known a bit about the brain, um, but actually looking at it from a recovery perspective has been absolutely fascinating. Um, so I can actually identify not only how I – because the things we, as you probably know, like things that are going to help uh, nourish the brain in recovery, it's actually going to nourish it for um, health and longevity in the future as well. Um, totally. It's the lens I've had to look through and trying to help people like myself that have this – what is like a silent killer, like a concussion, uh, in particular delayed concussions, um, because we don't often see it. You know, it's just this thing that's, you know, we're, we're dealing with. So I'm trying to, I suppose, create information around it to help support those that are struggling um, and join, join them on my own journey. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I feel like all the things that you'd be doing to speed up recovery or make sure that recovery happens as well as it can would be similar to the things that you'd be doing to prevent Alzheimer's and prevent dementia and prevent any chronic disease that affects our brain. Yeah, absolutely. What would be the biggest, like, do you have a bit of a handle on what the things that you did that might have had the biggest 
difference actually push the needle the most? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've also blogged this as well if anyone wants to kind of review this afterwards. Um, but the biggest things I think I've found, so there's obviously initial things and then there's kind of more of the kind of chronic nature. So you've got the acute and the chronic. Um, so acutely uh, for me is that I didn't want any pain management. I wanted to be in tune with what my body was telling me. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to blunt the um, inflammation response. So I want to allow the body to actually do what it does best and recover. Mm. Uh, so first and foremost, I grunted through the pain, I guess, in a way. Um, mm. Not everyone can do, um, but through my history of putting myself through pain, I can do that. And I don't recommend it to everyone either, um, but I, I believe they're quite critical in where I was because I was traveling by myself in Indonesia, um, a little island called uh, Bintan, which is, you know, there's no, no real hospital there. So I was like, okay, it's just me here. Um, I need to be conscious of what's going on. I don't mm. need to fight the pain. So that was quite powerful first and foremost, just being really mindful and associating where the pain is. Mm. Plus, I'm also not a big fan of the impact of, you know, anti-inflammatories on the gut and um, all that as well. So um, that as well. But, yeah, initially it was allowing the body to hit, do its natural thing, which is heal, and allowing mm. that time by, you know, doing mindfulness, uh, meditation, uh, breath work, anything to kind of bring down that uh, sympathetic system to that more that parasympathetic. Uh, trying to move where possible, but I couldn't really do that because I'd always had a lot of other injuries besides the concussion as well. Uh, pulled my calf, I could walk, and yeah, so it was like, it was a limp around, but just trying to get some movement where possible. But then again, trying to remove stimulation um, as much as possible as well. So obviously things like uh, these are prescription; these are literally blue blocking glasses. Yeah, I've got mine just here, actually. That's funny. <laughs> mine are just as, mine are super geeky looking. but <laughs> Yeah, and that, that have been extremely powerful for me. So obviously, if I'm ever in a space where I've got too much stimulation, uh, putting the blue blockers on. Um, initially, mm-hmm. I was blue blockers or sunglasses. Sunglasses were better because it was just blocked out all the time, which is good. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that was really good. Just trying to remove stimulation as much as possible. Um, and just trying to really relax and rest. And then more in the kind of chronic setting, once I got back to New Zealand and a bit more back to more nutritional kind of um, support, I was doing a lot in the way of that. I was quite lucky that I travel, you know, being a biohacker, I had a lot of stuff with me while I was over there. So obviously I wanted it for performance, but it actually ended up being a great um, active in my recovery as well. So I had a lot of endogenous ketones. So obviously beta-hydroxybutyrate is like a, a – a ketone ketone body which is going to fuel the brain your brain can function off two fuels right carbohydrate and ketones um so we know carbohydrate is going to create a little bit of inflammation which i don't really want at this stage i want a kind of a clean fuel which is going to really help enhance the brain and we know that ketones is the best fuel for that cool yeah exogenous ketones with me uh but i also had mct oil as well so i was having it um through which is another type of uh, exogenous ketone, but more of a um, slower releasing. So those two together uh, work quite well. Then I was also taking DHA, of course, uh, so fish oils, through to magnesium. Uh, we're also taking probiotics. Are you using magnesium L3 and 8, or which one were you? I can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, when I came back, I think I was on to um, more of a potassium, because um, I identified a potassium deficiency when I came back. So mm-hmm. and potassium into it as well um, because generally when you have a concussion it um, throws out the potassium but 
I was saying probiotic because obviously, you know, when you have a anything that disrupts your gut brain axis um, is going to disrupt your gut microbiome as well. So there's a lot of research around the gut health pretty much is just pretty much disrupted because you're going to get a leaky gut as a result of the permeability associated with concussion. So trying to get some good bacteria into there as well. So I'm doing everything I could in that context with where I was. Yeah, um, amazing. And then, yeah, once I got back, I could get into my full range of supplements, which was really good. So getting more into, uh, in particular, my lion's mane, uh, which is a mushroom, um, which is really powerful from a, a neurogenic effects um, and neuroprotective effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite crucial. And that's also something I'm doing my master's in, so I knew quite a bit about that one. Wow. Then what else did I Yeah, I, I, once I got back and I actually had a full supply of MCT oil, I ended up taking MCT oil, uh, a Malroe MCT oil with DHA. I did mm-hmm. that high dose. Um, so mm-hmm. I about three times a day with exogenous ketones as well. So really quite substantial to kind of keep that beta hydroxybutyrate levels up throughout the whole day. And that was for the first probably month I did that. Um, expensive protocol, but effective protocol. And I guess other than that, I was trying to restrict carbohydrates where possible, but I also noticed I was craving them. So I was also listening to what my body was telling me because um, naturally when I look at the science, you know, it says, you know, you should pretty much fast, you know, try and reduce those levels as much as possible. But I found that was quite challenging at that point in time. So mm. I feel like that in itself, just really restricting carbohydrates yeah. would be additional stress on top of the whole sort of system. Some starches would probably be quite nice. Yeah, exactly that. So that's why I decided to do it through exogenous supplements to kind of get me into that state. Yeah, and then once I got back as well, flotation therapy was hands down the best thing because it puts you into a state of sensory deprivation, those that don't know what that is, it's you jump into a um, sensory deprivation tank, which is pretty similar, maybe I don't know. It's not. It's pretty shallow, and then it's full of Epsom salts, so which causes you to float. It's like floating in the Dead Sea. There's different variations of them, but they're pretty much pitch black um, and perfect thing for a brain image to Plus, the magnesium as well, which is getting topically absorbed, um, which is also beneficial. Yeah, so. Really, it's, a, it's quite a long list of things I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Perfect. Yeah, no, that's those are a good, I mean, those are a good sort of toolbox worth of things to, to have if something terrible like a brain injury ever happens before somebody. So thank you for that. No worries. Honeypot is all about connection. And I wanted to hear a little bit about what, what you do or what you find helps you stay really connected to first of all yourself um and others and then also the environment cool absolutely um so for me it's about making a part of my life so i I don't but i believe health should be an integrated part of your life it shouldn't be a second thought it should be autonomous um so Mm. it's about structuring it into my life so i do those things every day so for me a really good morning routine um so my morning routine starts off mindfulness which we know is obviously going to be good for connecting to yourself and kind of um, growing awareness and being present for the moment because we know the past is depression the future is anxiety detaching ourselves from those two and becoming present in the moment because if we truly want to make a change we can't change the past and we can't impact the future without being present what what does your mindfulness look like do you are you sort of sitting seated noticing your breath so it's interesting so i used to do it sitting Mm. Um, but recently because I've got a bit more time with COVID right like I'm taking it a little bit longer and I find if I sit for that long it can be quite discomfort um, yep. so 
traditionally I'd do like five to ten minutes, but now I'm doing more like twenty minutes. So it's like okay, I'll, I'll lie down for those, which is good. Um, and I like to do it in a postural reset, so kind of lying along a foam roller, which is going to help align my spine and um, open up my chest. Amazing. Um, so that's how I kind of yeah start with that, and then I kind of go from there into um, some breath work. Um, so breath is also going to be another thing that's going to really help connect. So depending what I'm trying to achieve that day, depends on the kind of breath work I will do. If I'm really just trying to attain focus, it will be maybe more of a box breath. If I notice I'm quite um, in a sympathetic state, it might be more of a four uh, breath in for four, hold for seven and exhale for eight to down-regulate. Mm. And then from there, gratitude. Um, so I've just downloaded a new app, which is really good. Um, let me remember what the name of it is. It's day one. Day one. Cool. So day one's a really good app because you can actually add media around uh, your gratitude journal. So like, for me, I'm quite a visual person. So I don't, like just written word is great, but I'm not going to consume it all the time. But for me, pictures really talk to me. So that's been quite powerful. And actually being able to put a photo beside uh, my gratitude for the day. Then from there, I will generally go down to the beach, which I'm lucky enough right now being based at the Mount for uh, lockdown. That's incredible. Not normal, Not my normal routine, but... I've been enjoying it while it's been back legal again. <laughs> Two weeks where I couldn't do it. Uh, but now that it's legal again, I'm back out there. So the reason I do that is, first and foremost, is for the grounding, uh, nature. So as you talk about the environment, and we know from that, all the negative ions, it's going to be um, help reduce inflammation and it's going to give us more energy. And then uh, I also go down there to get the sun exposure as well because it's going to help reset the circadian rhythm. Obviously going to give me more energy as well because we're getting that vitamin D. And immunity as well. <clears throat> and then into a cold water immersion. Uh, again, to really stimulate the system, get it fired up and ready for the day. Uh, but we also know from um, a weight loss standpoint through to mental health, there's so many benefits of getting into that cold water as well. And plus it's a challenge, you know. Every day I do that, I feel successful from the start of the day because, you know, I've gone there, I've done that swim. It's not pleasant. I don't enjoy it by any means. You know, but you always enjoy the feeling afterwards. Mm, yeah, well, it's even just... Like just the fact of keeping that promise for yourself. If you said you were going to do it and you do it, that that's another way to connect to yourself really by just building that trust. Yeah. So it's non-negotiables. It's kind of the wording I usually use around it. That's my non-negotiable. And like the other non-negotiable I have while I'm here at the Mount is from a movement standpoint is I'm on the fifth floor. And that's another reason why I need to get the grounding as well because I'm so elevated. I make sure I always take the steps. So it's just having these non-negotiables in our life that kind of force health to be autonomous we don't I don't have to think about these things mm. and so by the start of the day I've already got a successful day of from a mental and physical standpoint I'm ready to go and then get into my coffee and my deepest block for the day and trying to tame flow cool what a morning routine it sounds like as you sort of mentioned before that's something that you do make not negotiable and you literally do it every morning yeah every morning yeah that's that's impressive. <laughs> that's very impressive. Unless it's illegal, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Unless you can't go for the swim. Yeah, well, you could almost do your cold exposure in the shower if you really needed to. Absolutely. And so, I mean, at the moment it's hard, but how do you like to connect to others? It might not be something you do every day. It might just be something that you do occasionally, sort of during this time specifically, I suppose. Yeah. I guess like one of the best things we can do, right, is help others. Because um, we know that through helping others, we're going to get a release of oxytocin. 
you know, the feel, it's kind of a feel-good hormone. It's kind of the cuddle or the love hormone. So if we can actually help others, um, that's going to be the most beneficial thing. And obviously that's kind of what I do for my job. Um, so I'm quite lucky in that context that I can actually have the capacity to help people. Um, so for me, I'm trying to help people where possible. So if people need something is just, you know, trying to help. Um, we also, um, me and my friends, close group of friends, we uh, set up the Araha Collective, um, which is mm. pretty much a collective of people just trying to help individuals get essential supplies. Um, so obviously when we're, especially when we're in um, lock, uh, lockdown four, uh, we couldn't really ill or predisposed to um, illness. You know, they can't get out. And if you're above 60, you shouldn't be leaving your home. Um, so a lot of people couldn't get supplies, so we created a collective in which New Zealand wide to help store those supplies for people. Um, but obviously that was quite impactful, and being a part of that and some of the stories that kind of come through that, you've seen these amazing things happen and it's the power of community. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like even just sort of speaking about it or hearing about it, I feel like a little bit of a bit of a rush, like, ah, oh, that's so cool that, you know, that obviously you thought of something that was a good idea and made it happen. Yeah. It was, it was quite a cool like, little experiment because we, we obviously we just had a belief. We hope, that, like, we, we, we believe that people are going to do the want to do the right thing for people if they have the opportunity to. And mm. we put it out to the community and everyone was so involved. It was, it was quite interesting. People were fighting over helping others. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. Isn't that interesting? That's just, that's just, and that's just a sign of how much our community is craving connection. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like they're desperate to jump in and help somebody because that that's a way that you can feel connected to other people is by helping them. Yeah. And we also know like connections like the like one of the most important things for longevity as well. Like if you look into the blue zone, that's the one thing that um we've that they've identified as being the biggest contributor to longevity, right? So the thing we found fascinating about the ARA collective is it's a flip side, because obviously our volunteers are traditionally more of the um elderly right like i know st john's majority of their um volunteers are 60 plus but we obviously the young people to help the old people and the old people don't like asking for help so that's one thing we found quite interesting um with that kind of syndrome um i think that's an issue for all ages though asking for help oh yeah absolutely but i think even more so with the older generations because uh true tall poppies that's where we've got it from right Mm, yeah, we inherited it from them. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting experiment, kind of going through that with them. Um, to, yeah, cool. That's incredible, Luke. That's really, really lovely to hear about. I suppose, in terms of connection to the environment, I am super interested in sustainability myself, and I wondered what just your opinion, um, but as one thing that can maybe help the environment, whether it's something that you're doing or whether it's something that you know other people are doing. What's your perspective on one of the strategies, one of the tactics for looking after the environment? Yeah, uh, it's one of those things I've been diving a lot to, into recently myself. I find it extremely fascinating area. Like I, I want, I want the change, but it's, it's about I think awareness first and foremost, right? Like obviously, there's a group of us that have this awareness that things need to be done, but so many people in the world have still not uh, identified the real need for it. They haven't seen the tipping point yet because we are at a tipping point. We need to do something now. And that's one thing I'm really so proud of COVID. COVID's been so powerful that I think I saw something that we've actually been able to reduce our um, carbon footprint. I can't remember what the numbers were, but quite substantially. Totally. I mean, if somebody had suggested that we 
halt all commercial airplanes six months ago, we would have told them they're crazy. Like, yeah, yeah it's happened. Exactly. Because there's no way commercial businesses would have ever allowed that to happen. But, you know, it just it takes a crisis to create an opportunity, right? You ask me what are kind of some tactics and some strategies. Well, just, I'm just interested in your personal opinion. It doesn't have to be right or it doesn't have to be, you know, the most effective thing, but just something that you personally think that, you know, a lot of people could easily do maybe even. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's, there's plenty. Um, I think plastics is one thing anyone can do. Just stop using plastics. Yeah. Um, from, you know, buying things in plastic, you know, if we, like, as a society, we make the selection of uh, what what we want, you know. If the demand is there, they will create it. If we remove the demand, they will mm. stop using plastics. Um, there's going to be less of a demand. Look at sustainable products um, over plastic. Removing plastics would be one. Uh, the other thing would be probably like from a farming standpoint, obviously sustainable farming. I, I personally believe there's been shown to be farms that are um, carbon uh, negative. Um, that produce meat. Uh, so you can actually do a negative carbon uh, footprint with meat production. So it's just about doing farming correctly, which I think yeah. primarily New Zealand generally does. Most people see farming as being really bad because they're looking at America. Yeah. Um, but that's a, a place where if we could actually support the farmers to create these sustainable farms, I think that would be an extremely powerful tool. Um, and yeah, we don't need to go. We, we need to eat less meat, but we don't need to remove meat. I don't. Yeah. I hate these binary approaches of all or nothing. My big thing is obviously that some people need more meat than others, so there's that aspect. But I also believe if we're eating really good quality meat and eating it really consciously, we'll actually need less of it anyway. Yeah. And so I certainly like just over the last couple of years getting more in tune with noticing what you need and what you want like I'm really aware of like when my body's craving meat and I'm like I think I crave more meat when I'm dealing with more stress or you know there's something else going on that's kind of driving that craving for something that's really going to ground me um Mm. so yeah there's lots of factors when it comes to meat consumption for sure now the other thing I'm really interested in I suppose the impact of having a long-term intimate relationship with somebody so I mean is there a relationship that jumps out and and that you can think of that's helped you to change or evolve or at least helped you grow as a person in some way yeah absolutely like um um mummy's boy through and through he's had the biggest kind of influence on the trajectory of my life right from you know when I talked about with my lost down when I was diagnosed you know let's be let's focus on the positive and you know we can still get through this um there's always that positive spin on things. And I suppose it helps in having a mum that's a life coach um, from the context as well. So she's always wow. coaching me through, through life and um, helping me see the, the good things in life instead of, I think it's quite easy to be pessimistic um, and kind of focus on the negatives. But when you look at the world as a positive thing, generally you attract more positive things as well. So I guess from a relationship standpoint, probably the most profound impact would be, yeah, my mum. It's kind of my sounding board in time. I'm kind of working through any kind of problem, both business, both personal. She's the first person I ask. She sounds like she's had a pretty incredible influence on you. You know, lots of people out there have parents who have maybe even put them on the back foot a bit. So <laughs> we're very lucky to have a have a mum like that. 
I'm interested to hear about, I suppose, from a perspective where you are in a job where you help people and you're working with clients and you're working with, with and over the years you've lots, lots and lots of people, what would be your sort of three top problems? I don't even know if that's the right word, but things that have prevented people from changing. Prevented people from changing. It's a good question. Yeah. What's the biggest thing that gets in people's way? I think people's uh, perception of time uh, would be the bigger. Mm. But really, it's about prioritization. So it's about reframing that conversation with them because often they say, I don't have enough time. Um, we've all got enough time. It's just not a priority at the moment. And I guess the biggest thing I've learned with people as well is if they're not ready for change, you can't change them. Um, you just got to be there waiting when they're ready for the change. You know, give them the opportunities, just outline them pretty much, you know, give it to them on a civil platter. I'm here when you're ready. Um, and then play the waiting game and then um, help them when they're ready. Uh, um, because you kind of you need to have the intrinsic motivation. You can't be extrinsically motivated to do something. Got to be deep within um, to really create that change. Um, and then obviously the other issue, which I think everyone would say, is it would be financial. It, it's interesting, right? Like you would, mm. you would spend twenty. I don't know. I don't know how much it costs to fix a leaky house, but like twenty, thirty grand. I don't know. Something like that, probably. Um, you'd spend that, but you wouldn't spend that money on yourself, which you, you only get one one of yourself, right? Yeah. You can get multiple houses. And what's the root of not wanting to spend money on ourselves? Yeah, that's exactly that. I think people just don't value yeah. it. Oh, self-worth, I think. But for me, it's like a, it's always been a priority for myself. Like people was like, oh, you spend so much money on food. I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, I only get one body. I'm going to nourish it. Yeah. Instead of spending money on paint for the house or, you know, like those um, uh, external things that don't really matter. Yeah. Um, those things can be replaced. The body can't be replaced. Uh, really just um, nourishing the body so I can thrive. Um, so I, I suppose that's the thing of financial, but again, it comes back to that priority thing, right? They're not spending enough money on themselves because um, it's not their priority. Um, yeah. Their priority is external things, um, superficial things. And it makes a lot of sense as well from what I've seen. And yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. I was wondering just, any books, podcasts, or anything's recent, particularly recently, that have really jumped out at you? You know, that jumped out at you to the point where you actually took action in your own life and maybe changed something. Yeah, absolutely. You know me; I'm an avid reader and podcast listener. I've still got a massive list from you from our last <laughs> breakfast thing that we uh, that I've still got to got to get through. <laughs> um, so let me think about. It. So I suppose one impactful book that's been quite recently I've identified, so I had a back injury um, during this COVID period, um, which I've identified to be um, uh, a bit more psychosomatic, so a lot more built-up stress, really, so it's a little bit of overload. So for those people that are dealing with any kind of chronic pain that may not really have an origin of purpose, um, healing back pain, um, those two books are really good the kind of PTSD stress component of um, and what that can actually have on our body, on our physical body. So the manifestation of pain pretty much. So those, that's kind of been the area I've been diving into recently. Cool, that's interesting. Other than that, I, I guess I'm very much into the uh, longevity side. So uh, David Sinclair's uh, lifespan was really good. And then, oh, actually, yeah, probably my favourite book at the moment, which is just kind of really encapsulates everything I kind of do is Boundless by Ben Greenfield. 
Mm, uh, yes, that's the one of the ones that I've got on my list from from you. I think absolute marathon. Like so, I'm um, like I said mentioned earlier, I'm dyslexic, so I do audibles. That's how I learn the best. It's about a forty-two hour book, so it's a good read. That's a good effort. Cool, cool, awesome. And then slightly more quick fire round. What's your favorite go-to breakfast at the moment? If you are having breakfast, because I know you fast a bit, don't you? Yeah, so breakfast is lunch, really, for most people. Like I'm fasting probably probably a little bit long, at the, uh, 16 to 20 hours, roughly. Um, so pushing it a little bit pretty much, I think, and maybe kind of wind that back a bit. But mm. yeah, usually bacon and eggs um, with spinach and, yeah, it's my go-to. The avocado white still here. Mm. Mm. Oh, my gosh, it's making me hungry. I actually, um, I've been fasting since Sunday night now. I'm trying to think how that's 24, a little bit over 32-ish hours. Um, so that is making me hungry, <laughs> speaking of food. And what what is the biggest thing that you are grateful for right now? The biggest thing I'm grateful for is the time for the world to just suppress pause and stop and actually reset, you know, what is what you actually want to achieve and, like, where you want to go to and just have that time to kind of do the stuff that we often put on the back burner. I've really appreciated this time to be able to sit back and actually um, work on the systems and processes behind my business, um, you know, and revisit my my goals and my ambitions and uh, where I want to kind of get to and revisit all that kind of stuff and take the time to really, yeah, think about it. That's what I'm grateful for. And obviously being at the Mount. I've figured out I need to try and figure out a way of living here in a few years. Sure. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, such a setup. Um, and then the last couple is there anything that you feel like you could let go of right now that you've kind of maybe been resisting letting go of? Yeah, so this is the biggest thing I've learned probably through this period. Um, so it's more about focusing in on what's important. So I'm always looking to achieve a lot of things. I've got a lot of things on the go. So the biggest thing I've learned through this time is obviously with the kind of a back injury and that kind of TMS I talked about earlier, um, I need to focus in on what's important. So uh, for me, yeah. Not getting caught up in uh, other projects, but just focusing on what is my big goal and what do I really want to achieve and just nailing into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. It does sound like you're constantly, constantly striving for things. Yeah. So one, one, one thing that, like, for example, that I'm going to call is I'm still going to do Ironmans and triathlons and stuff like that, but I'm not going to really race them at a higher level. Mm-hmm. For the time at least. I'm going to take some time off from that just to focus on the business itself. Especially with my concussion, I can't overload the system as much as I used to. No, yeah, yeah. So you've got to choose, pick and choose what you're going to load yeah. the body up with. Absolutely. And I think focus is important for everybody as well, whether you have a concussion or not. Like, the more you can focus into something, the more you can own something. The more you can achieve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, so uh, just while we're on what that your focus is, um, is your sort of physical space in Hamilton, is, one of the, is that one of your things or...? Yep, absolutely. So um, it was a great time to kind of get, create that. Like I opened that up at uh, end of December and obviously we're now in COVID. <laughs> a team of two to a team of 13 in like three months. So we kind of grew really quickly and it was looking really good until obviously COVID happened. And yeah, so that's obviously on the back burner and I'm uh, trying to get that back up and running when we can. But yeah, the biggest thing for me where I'm really putting my focus into is executive health and performance so really helping executives get more out of their physical well-being and um, their performance as a result cool cool exciting like um, biofeedback through to diagnostics 
yeah, and it's giving uh, making their lives a lot easier. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely like the performance end of the spectrum, isn't it? Really, like looking for that sort of those gains for somebody who's already living their life at quite a <laughs> quite a high level, which is it's kind of an exciting area, I suppose. Like, yeah. So for me, like, it's about um, helping my like from the health perspective. It's about helping my staff be the best practitioners they can be and work in, in the hub. Yeah, um, and then performance end that me diving into the executives. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And then last one, do you, I mean, not that you need to know it off the top of your head. I would have given you warning if I, um, oh, I should have given you warning rather, but a, a sort of a favorite quote or a, a saying or a mantra. Uh, yeah. Hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Is that right? No, is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So it's a stoic philosophy. Pretty much what it's saying is you know, to make the hard decisions now and have an easier life in the future. Or you can go the easy route and have a harder life as a result. So, yeah. So really focusing on that, those little one percenters, those little compound interests uh, to really accumulate and yeah, um, live a better life in the long run. Cool. Is that uh, Marcus Aurelius, or do you happen to know? I'm not 100 percent sure on the true attribution. I just know it's a stoic quote. Oh, it's just interesting because I've been looking into stoic philosophy quite a lot recently. Oh, cool. And I just thought it was it was interesting because I have heard of Stoic philosophy before, but not from somebody who could articulate it so well, I suppose, maybe. Yeah, like Stoicism is an absolutely fascinating area. And I think we can really apply a lot of Stoic philosophy into today's life to really live a better life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Cool, awesome. Apologies for the fairly abrupt ending there. I think we actually spoke for five minutes or more, but we we have lost that conversation to the ether. Um, I cannot find it and I cannot locate it, so we'll have to leave it there today. Thanks so much for listening. You can find out more about Luke Taylor and his business and what he's up to. His website is tailoredhealth.co.nz. He's also on Instagram at tailoredhealth. We're super, super excited to launch. Um, we launched these yesterday. Uh, two uh, honeypot ceremonies, one in Auckland, one in Wellington, coming up for the new moon on the 21st and the 23rd of July, respectively. So please check out more information on our Instagram or our Facebook pages, Honeypot Culture. Um, and really, really, really hope to see you there. It'd be awesome. Okay, guys, have a good day. Bye.